Hey everyone, Mackenzie Lambert here, your host for Mac and the Movies, where we look at everything from art house to grindhouse, mainstream to obscure, the forgotten and the unforgettable. On this episode of the podcast, we are taking a look at a few films featuring some of the biggest names in black cinema. We have Pam Greer in her film Coffee from 1973, the western Boss, starring Fred the Hammer Williamson from 1974, the 1975 classic Dolomite, starring Ray Rudy Moore, and we'll close with the exploitation parody, I'm Gonna Get You, Sucka, directed by and starring Keenan Ivory Wayans. Spoilers are possible. Let's get into the movies. No, we got movies! No! little sister was addicted to drugs. Now she's in the process of rehabilitation. Coffee is going after the drug pushers that have taken over the city. In the opening scene, she pretends to be a prostitute looking for a fix. Then she takes down the pusher and his lackey with a sawed-off double-barrel shotgun blast to the face. Complicating matters is a new player in town that's trying to take over the rackets. There seems to be a syndicate coming into formation between the domestic drug dealers, the foreign investor, and the local government. Coffee has become a target for all parties involved. I personally don't care for the term black exploitation. Fred the Hammer Williamson hates the term himself. None of these people were exploited, they were paid and became huge stars. While you had men like Williamson, Jim Brown, Jim Kelly, Isaac Hayes, Bernie Casey, and Richard Roundtree providing heroic figures for male youths to idolize, there were few women providing the same aspirations. Besides Greer, the only other actress to have multiple films under her belt in the black action genre was Vanette McGee. This makes Greer stand out all the more in the genre and contributed to her landing later career gigs with directors like John Carpenter and Quentin Tarantino. Black cinema had its heroes, but a few of them were unsavory characters in lead roles. Superfly has the protagonist as a drug dealer. Other films had pimps. I can understand the motivation of the likes of Williamson to be a hero for the black community. I'll go into further detail on The Hammer in a bit. The recent remake of Superfly comes off as tone deaf, even more considering months earlier, Marvel released Black Panther. Marvel showed black people in positions of royalty. Sony put black people in the roles of drug dealers and thugs. Director Jack Hill was also the writer for Coffee. Hill worked regularly with Greer on films like The Big Doll House, The Big Bird Cage, and Foxy Brown. He also gave us the crazy horror film Spider Baby, starring Lon Chaney Jr. and Sid Haig. While not the acting debut for Pam Greer, that honor goes to the Russ Meyer classic Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, Coffee marks her first outing in the lead role. Before that, she was often the badass black chick in prison films like The Big Doll House, Women in Cages, The Big Bird Cage, and Black Mama, White Mama. In Coffee, Greer shows she can take control of a scene, but also show vulnerability. Seeing Sid Haig in his prime was cool to see. Here, he plays a henchman to the foreign drug dealer. He manages to give off vibes of creepiness. 
We likely all know him as Captain Spaulding from the Rob Zombie trilogy of films with the Firefly family. Robert DeQuay is King George, the resident pusher and pimp in the area. RoboCop fans will know him as Sergeant Reed. Keep an eye out for a quick appearance by Leslie McRae from the MST3K classic, Girl in Gold Boots. is well worth a watch because the film features Prime Greer along with a good supporting cast. She was one of the only female standouts in a genre filled with men in the lead roles. It's cool to see a badass lady take charge for a change. Towards town, two bounty hunters, Boss and Amos, come across a firefight between outlaws and a traveling couple. The man is shot down before Boss and Amos take down the others. While sifting through the bodies, they find some of them have rewards and a note for Mayor Griffin. The note details that the position of sheriff was going to be given to a member of Jed Clayton's gang. Using the note as leverage, Boss takes up the role of sheriff while Amos is his deputy. Soon, Boss and Amos end up killing one member of Jed's gang and cuts off supplies to them. Originally, the Clayton gang was allowed to take all the supplies they wanted as long as they didn't hurt any of the townsfolk. Now, the town is caught between the power struggle between Boss, Jed Clayton, and Mayor Griffin. Now, you and I know that Boss isn't the full title of this movie. I refer to it as Boss because I don't have the time nor the patience to deal with cancel culture. I'm just going to leave it at that. Besides, on the DVD, Williamson admitted that the use of the N-word was for sensationalism. I didn't realize that Boss was the third film in the series. Before Boss, there was The Legend of Charlie and The Soul of Charlie. Both films featured Williamson as Charlie and co-star Duville Martin as Toby. Boss is essentially the good, the bad, and the ugly in that the film brings this trilogy to a close, despite the name changes to Boss and Amos for Williamson and Martin respectively. I think the title, In Full, is actually empowering. The white folks see Williamson's character as being lower than them, but it doesn't change the fact that he's the boss, more so than the mayor. Interestingly enough, the biggest allies to Boss and Amos are the town doctor and the blacksmith, both white-collar and blue-collar. The doctor, being a man of science and intellect, sees past skin color. The blacksmith, a man good with his hands and knows a hard day's work. Jack Arnold handled the directorial duties of the film, 
Arnold is a monster movie legend, directing classics like The Creature from the Black Lagoon and Tarantula. Directing the boss gig was in between directing TV shows like The Brady Bunch and The Love Boat. Recent inductee into the Mech in the Movies Hall of Fame, Fred the Hammer Williamson, makes another appearance. We previously saw him in Three Tough Guys as part of the first volume of the Grindhouse Experience in Episode 7, followed by his own episode, number 18. With Boss, Williamson was able to put his own rules into action. I had three rules when I came to Hollywood. One, you can't kill me. Three, I have to, two, I have to win all my fights. And three, I get the girl at the end of the movie if I want to. He's tough, charismatic, and hilarious. Not surprising considering he also wrote the script for Boss. Derville Martin plays Amos, the comedic sidekick to Boss. We'll see Derville come up again later in this episode. Starting out as a TV actor, he became synonymous with the black cinema genre. He was also a producer and a director. R.G. Armstrong plays Mayor Griffin. You might remember him from the Hammer episode in the film Mean Johnny Barrows, or totally unrecognizable as Pruneface in Dick Tracy. Here he does a fine job as the racist mayor, hoping for Boss and Jed to wipe each other out. William Smith was a TV and genre cinema regular. As Jed Clayton and Boss, he brings the proper sense of menace. You can see Smith on TV shows like Perry Mason, Loretto, Lassie, and The Mod Squad. Genre films featuring him include Grave of the Vampire, Piranha, Red Dawn, Maniac Cop, and Uncle Sam. Boss is a satisfying, entertaining western that features great talent in the main roles. The film is empowering to its core, featuring a racial altruism between black and white people. Not to speak less of the other films in this episode, but this is my favorite of the bunch. Some folks say that Willie Green was the baddest motherfucker the world ever seen. But I want you to hold on to your seat. Hold on to them tight. Because you now get ready to see the story of me. Yes, me. After being framed for robbery and possession of narcotics, Dolmite is released from jail. His nephew, Little Jimmy, was murdered while he was imprisoned. Clearly, Ron the Truth Killings is a fan of this film. Now, he wants to get revenge. His main target is his biggest rival, Willie Green. In addition to Willie Green, he has to deal with a pair of corrupt cops who cause him trouble at every chance they can. Ray Rudy Moore started out as a comedian in the 1960s. 
He listened to a rhymed toast to an urban hero named Dolmite. Moore took up the Dolmite name as an alter-ego stage persona, not unlike Andy Kaufman and Tony Clifton. Dolmite comes off as a parody of black cinema with the pure black attitude of Richard Pryor. This was Black Dynamite before Black Dynamite. The Foy choreography plays up the love of kung fu cinema that was big in the grindhouse cinemas. Despite this affection, the fight sequences are hilarious with kicks and punches missing by a long shot due to poor camera placement. Some moments just happen out of nowhere yet are soon woven into the plot of the film. I immediately think of the hamburger pimp. He's introduced as this strung-out junkie, but he ends up providing Dolmite with important information to move the plot forward. I love his music. Derville Martin pulled double duty as the director and as Willie Green. Dolmite was only one of two directorial efforts by Martin after working with Fred the Hammer Williamson. Martin is playing the material straight in contrast to the comedic term by Moore, which adds some danger and stakes to the film. In fact, the music score for Dolmite by Arthur G. Wright is one of the more memorable scores of the films covered in this episode. The Dolmite theme and the music for The Hamburger Pimp stand out. Arthur G. Wright was a session musician and producer for Motown Records. He did the guitar work for my favorite Diana Ross song, Love Hangover. He's worked with Smokey Robinson, Stevie Wonder, Marvin Gaye, Ray Charles, The Righteous Brothers, Donna Summer, and more. Dolmite would be the first of three films Ray Rudy Moore would don the character on film. There's the human tornado and the Dolmite explosion. The style of comedy by Moore is very much spoken word poetry, blending the elements of beat poetry with the prototype of rap. Moore plays Dolmite as streetwise and resourceful, almost a pimp in the vein of James Bond. Dolmite is a hilarious parody of a genre that excelled in over-the-top action. This film plays up the comedy with moments of randomness that will keep the viewer amused as to what could possibly happen next. Junebug is found dead, apparently suffering from an OG, Overgold. His brother Jack comes home to be with his mom and Junebug's wife, Cheryl. Jack wants to find out who is supplying the gold chains in the area. This gets the unwanted attention of gold dealer, Mr. Big. Jack knows he can't do this alone. He brings on the help of old school heroes, John Slade, Fly Guy, Hammer, and Slammer. With a lot of guns and ammo at their disposal, the team goes head-on against Mr. Big. Unlike the parody within Dolmite that was in the style of Richard Pryor, I'm Gonna Get You Sucker is a parody from the school of Zuckers and Abrams. 
These are the guys that blessed us with Airplane, the Kentucky Fried Movie, Brain Donors, the Naked Gun series, and more. It's the scattergun gag style that either hits or miss, but mostly hit. I'm going to get you sucker had plenty of such moments. My favorite in particular is the coffee shop fight with the obvious stunt doubles filling in for Jack's mom. The youth gang competition is one of those, oh my god, they actually went there kind of gags. It's not a stretch to see where this film led to the popular sketch show in Living Color. Keenan Ivory Wayans handles the writing, directing, and the lead role. The man was a comedy genius who wasn't afraid to make the stereotypical jab or two when needed. Dare I say he was at the top of his game here because the later attempts via Don't Be a Menace in South Central While Drinking Your Juice in the Hood and the first two scary movie entries fell way short. As Jack Spade, he does a fine job playing up the hapless hero. When I saw Bernie Casey, I immediately thought of Revenge of the Nerds and Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. He became synonymous with exploitation via Cleopatra Jones and Boxcar Bertha, which are the films he channels as John Slade. Antonio Fargas as Fly Guy is essentially Huggy Bear from the Starsky and Hutch TV series. However, he has his place in black cinema, notably across 110th Street and Shaft. Jim Brown plays Slammer. Brown was all over the place. Big pictures like The Dirty Dozen, as well as B pictures like Three the Hard Way. I will, however, forever think of him from Mars Attacks. Isaac Hayes returns to Mac in the movies. Last time we saw him was in Three Tough Guys with Fred the Hammer Williamson. Hayes has been recognized as Chef from South Park, The Duke, A Number One from Escape from New York. His second role as an actor was Truck Turner, which is who Hayes is taking his character from, despite his name being Hammer, a nod to Fred Williamson. Speaking of Fred the Hammer Williamson, he's absent from the the cast of this film. He was offered a role, but turned it down. His reason? He felt the comedic tones of the film would hinder his tough guy persona, a a persona he's maintained at this point for over five decades. Can't really blame the guy. Jeanette Dubois steals the film as Jack's overconcerned mother. Whenever Jack finds himself in a fight situation, she's always there to rescue him. Of all her accomplishments in acting, none have reached the heights as her writing the theme song for the TV show The Jeffersons. Steve James is channeling Jim Kelly in the role of the martial artist, even spoofing a scene from Three the Hard Way. The supporting cast is filled with other members of the Wayans family, Damon, Marlon, Sean, and Kim. There's also David Allen Greer as a news reporter. You have John Witherspoon, Chris Rock, John Vernon, and Clarence Williams III in the supporting cast. One of my favorite scenes involves a little boy, uh, played by Ben Ryan Ganger, spotting black revolutionary poetry with Jurassic Park's Ariana Richards next to him. Let me hear your report. Okay. Abraham Lincoln was born in a log cabin in Illinois. This poor white trash went on to become the president of the United States. Yes? Once in office, this white capitalist swine... Swine? ...manipulated the freedom of the black man for his own political career. Freak, brother! To another piece of poor white trash, shot him in the head. The end. 
Jesus. Almighty, I am very pleased. Yes, you and your lovely sister, you may go and watch TV. I'm going to get you Sucka Stains as the second best film in this group, just under Boss. I miss the parody film, a genre that was brutally murdered by the likes of Seltzer and Friedberg. I'm going to get you Sucker deserves a place right alongside the likes of Airplane and The Naked Gun. The comedic jabs at the tropes of black cinema are too good to pass up. And that finishes this episode of Making the Movies. Next time, we're doing video game-based movies, particularly with the recent success of Sonic the Hedgehog. I'll be looking at the aforementioned Sonic movie along with the 1993 Super Mario Brothers movie, the 1994 Street Fighter II animated movie, the 1995 Mortal Kombat, and the 2002 Resident Evil movie. Five movies all together. If you enjoyed this content and would like to see the program grow, a one-time donation via PayPal would be greatly appreciated. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Any questions or inquiries can be sent to my Gmail. All of that in the description below. Until next time, this is Mackenzie Lambert from Mech and the Movies. Take care, folks. Mm-hmm.